Blog Talk Radio. and around the world, streaming live on the internet, it's Real Estate Coaching Radio, bringing you the latest news, interviews, and secrets of the top producers, hosted by award-winning real estate coaches, Tim and Julie Harris. Well, hello, everyone. I'm Tim Ventura, filling in for Tim and Julie Harris, and welcome back to Casual Friday on Real Estate Coaching Radio. We're talking about tech and this week we're talking about your website, the search engines, and Zillow. Why this topic? Well, frankly, it's because I don't like it when small business owners get ripped off. And make no mistake, that's exactly what's happening to you. We'll get, that, we'll get to that in a bit, though. Uh, let me start out with some announcements. This is a live show. Our call-in number is 347-857-1195. Or write me at questions at realestatecoachingradio.com. Again, that's 347-857-1195 or questions at realestatecoachingradio.com. Also, if you want to schedule a free coaching call, I am on the roster. I'm hiding at the very bottom of the page at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. And I, I want to thank everyone that I've done free coaching calls with since the last show. Again, I'm filling in for Tim and Julie Harris. They are at the top of that roster there, uh, but I can help you with tech stuff. So if that's kind of your focus, I would be your person. Okay, so let's talk about your website. That's a great place to start. Your website is your digital storefront, always selling for you 24 by 7. I think that's kind of a good, important point to start with. I've got my little list. I'm just running down my bullet points. I've been working on this thing off and on all week. So, yes, it's your digital storefront. It's always on. It's always there. And that's something that you can't be, even if you're using a lot of mobile technology. So that, that's the real value of it, right? It's your, it's your digital business card. And these days, if you're a real estate professional, having a website or, or being listed as a team member on somebody else's is really kind of a requirement for doing business. If you don't have one, if you're not listed somewhere, it really kind of tells people that you don't have things together. Now, that, that is not just a real estate agent thing, right? That's, I mean, doctors, lawyers, anybody. If you're a professional, you have a website. I didn't make the rule, but I've, I'm kind of bound by it like everybody else. So you either have to be there or have one that you're on, and it has to look pretty good, right? You have to convey that impression to folks. There are many different purposes that your website serves. Again, that should be no surprise, although it's, it's easy to lose sight of that. Um, you know, at the very least, it's a digital business card, right? And that's how they started out. It started out as, hey, here's my website. It's got my contact information. Here's my phone number, my email. Here's how you get in touch with me. This was, you know, back before e-commerce really got popular and all that. It really answers those the, the five W's of journalism, who you are, what you do, where you are, how to reach you, and why it matters, really. So, again, those are the five W's. And it, it may display your products, right? Uh, most real estate agent websites these days do that, like an IDX feed connected to your listings, puts them on your main page, lets you search them, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, and then your website may offer uh, engaging stories and educational content, right? A blog would be an example of that. If you blog, if you have the time and energy for it, obviously that goes on your website, and that can you know, kind of help give people a little bit more information about who you are and what you've been up to lately. So that's, that's kind of some of the fundamentals there. Uh, the supporting information on your website is valuable enough that even if you never sold a home from the site itself, the ability for people to learn about your background and look up your contact info would make it worth the investment. I kind of put that in there as kind of a note to myself because, you know, that, that's really, again, this goes back to the digital business card aspect of it. And it goes back to why websites started, right? It didn't start out as, hey, let's sell products online. It started out as, here are the fundamentals for who I am, why you care, and how you can get in touch with me, you know, or, or again, going back to those five lies. 
websites come in all sizes, shapes, and colors. Some have dozens of pages. Others scrape by with only one or two pages. Now, this may sound odd, but there's something called parallax web design where they put everything on one big, long scrolling page. And it can look quite beautiful if it's done correctly. So believe it or not, some pages are going to just a single page. Um, the size of your website, it, it really isn't that important. You know, there's, there's no rule that says you have to have this page, that page, and the other page. And I would know. I've been doing web design since 1996. That was when I built my first site. That was my first e-commerce site. And I've always wondered, you know, I've looked it up several times, what are the required pages for a website? There really aren't any. The, the only page, obviously, that you have to have is your main page, your index page, and that's just the first page that shows up. What else you put on after that uh, is kind of up to you, although that being said, uh, what, what really matters is that whatever pages you have, it has to tell people those, those five W's, and it has to do it pretty effectively. Uh, you want to have kind of brief statements on your main page, right? You want to give them kind of the key pieces of info so that they can see those basic pieces of information within the first few seconds that they're on your page. These days, people do not stick around to decipher what you're trying to say. So be obvious. Being obvious online matters. Um, you know, I could I could go into details why uh, I don't have the, the the time in front of me that people spend on websites, but it has definitely dropped. It's usually only a few seconds for people to determine whether or not they want to stay these days, and really what that is is kind of an engagement factor. We're so inundated with media. We have so much media coming from so many different places that. Really, you have to kind of make it brief and to the point. Otherwise, people will just get distracted and pulled away by something else, right? So let's talk about some common website conceptions and misconceptions. Excuse me. I'll take a, a brief break here for a sip of my coffee. Okay. Again, I've been doing this since uh, long ago. And... Uh, the, the, there are a lot of questions, and they, they kind of come and go. So if you build it, they will come. This is, not, this is not just a real estate thing. This goes for any website. This is the most common misconception there is. And it goes back to the early days of the Internet. Um, it really hasn't been true since around 1998. But if you remember when websites first, first started to kind of get out there, I remember tuning in back in 1995 uh, you know, this was when everybody was using AOL, you know, everything was dial-up and all that kind of stuff. And CNN was doing a show on, you know, this is a website. This is how you get to a website. This is what a website looks like. And back then it was true. If you built a website, you know, people could, they could find it in Alta Vista or stuff like that. If you had it up there and you had it in a search engine, you'd, you'd get traffic. You'd get people coming by, you know. Uh, I mean, back in 95, 96, if you had a real estate website, you were pretty unique. You know, you were on the forefront of something new. But, you know, again, by around 1998, 99, that had changed. There was so much competition that people were really fighting over uh, attention, which is really, you know, that, that's, that's normal in any venue, right? And that's why we advertise. So if you build it, they will come is not true. If you're thinking that you can build a website and it'll generate leads and traffic by simply existing, you're going to lose time and money for something to happen. Uh, these days, you have to advertise to get the people to visit you online. And if you're going to advertise, you should make sure that your website is optimized to capture all those visitors as contacts. This kind of, this kind of takes it one step further, right? So we have a website. We have our digital calling card online. It answers those five W's. You're sending people to it. Now, a, a, a lot of folks, and again, not just real estate, a lot of folks make it to that point. And they say, okay, great, I'm going to put some advertising. You know, there are lots of places that you could advertise. You get some visitors to it, and they don't contact you, you know, and you get that ghost town feeling. That that always really bothers me, and it happens, it, you know, it really happens with any any kind of marketing channel. If you get it right, you get lots of interest. If you don't get it right, it starts to feel like a ghost town. Uh, and if your website is not optimized to capture those visitors as contacts, 
you'll get that feeling. You may have lots of people visit. They'll visit, they'll pick up the information they need, and then they'll go someplace else. So one of the things that you have to kind of focus on is what do I want people to do? And then designing that website, working with your web designer to make sure that it captures those visitors' contacts. So that's, what, that's, that's probably the biggest misconception. If you build it, they will come. The next is I was told that I need to blog regularly. Now, this one's a little bit newer. Uh, this has been around, I don't know, blogging probably 2005, 2006. That's when this really started. Uh, the idea is a few years old now, but it, it comes from the early days of blogging where people who loved to write were able to build sizable audiences, and they were able to sell products because of their blogs. Um, you know, this is really neat because I, I was blogging back then, and I, I had my own little audience. I never monetized it quite the same way. I was doing tech stuff. But, um, but the idea was if you have something that you're passionate about, you know, uh, and that, that could be anything. It could be uh, cooking. It could be recipes. In our case, that would be real estate. If you're able to write, if you really like to write, you know, you're able to put your heart and soul into that, blogging can be a good way to build an audience. But, again, the, the problem is this started to change five or six years ago when everybody started blogging. Now, again, because I work, uh, you know, I, I work with tech, I work with marketing, I get email all the time that's that's you know talking about the value of blogging you have to blog you could be a corporate executive but you have to have a blog and what that's done is it's pushed everybody and their brother or sister to start a blog and so the problem is just like websites when you've got that much competition for attention nobody really gets attention worth having so it's been inundated um, so you know, I, I think there's another good point to blogging as well. I, again, I pen this down on my little list. It only ever worked for people who love to write in the first place and people who are pretty good at it. And I don't mean that they're, they're good writers. I, I mean that they have that passion and energy, and they're able to get that thing. You know, And I, I think you know what I'm talking about. You start reading, and something catches you, and you just can't quit. And the really great blogs are like that. You don't even mean to read the whole thing. You just kind of sit down and do the first couple sentences, and before you know it, you're done. There, there have been a few, actually, where I've ended up going through five or six blog articles by the same author because they're just so engaging, you know. And, and that's, that's the other part of blogging. Once, once blogging became a requirement instead of a passion, people started writing just to crank out material. And in fact, I've seen excuse me, some business guides that have suggested that lately. They say you need to write something at least once a week. And then then they take it a step further. Uh if you don't know what to write about, just write something. That way you're in a routine. Now, for me, for me that that kind of resonates with uh, exercise. I have an exercise routine, I weightlift. In my case, I go in a weightlift twice a week, maybe not as much as I should, but I do it Saturday and Wednesday night, and I always, always do it Saturday and Wednesday night. I'm there even if I don't feel like it because it's my routine. Blogging is supposed to be the same way. You're supposed to do it even if you don't want to do it, even if you don't have anything to write about, right? The side effect of that is if you're writing about stuff that you're not interested in, if you're writing when you don't want to write, you don't have the time, you're not writing engaging material. People aren't going to stick around. So then the question is, why have a blog? I mean, you know, it, it doesn't really have value unless it's something you want to do. Okay, so our next point, I don't want a website that looks like all of the others. Tread carefully here. The, the, this, this idea, and again, in the web design world, this is kind of interesting. A lot of folks... They, they want to be unique, right? I mean, there's no surprise there. You don't want to look identical or stamped out. You don't want to be a clone of every other agent with a website. And unfortunately, in real estate, there are a lot of organizations out there selling, quote-unquote, agent websites that all look the same. They look identical, right? And so you hit one of these websites, and maybe it looks okay, right? If you're, if you're just kind of casually out there and about, you find one of these websites. The problem is... You see two or three of these, and pretty soon it doesn't matter. The person themselves 
becomes a commodity, right? It's an agent website. It's got maybe a different picture, a different name, a different zip code, and that's it. The rest of the website's identical, same color, same layout, you know. And so, so folks, folks want to be unique. But at the same time, you also don't want something that looks so strange and different it scares customers away. And I've, I've seen a few of these, you know, where, again, they, they take it so far that they're no longer no longer answering those five W's. You know, it's it's just weird. And so you show up on the site. It's not telling you what you want. You don't find what you need. You you go someplace else, right? You hit the back button, go back to your search engine, find something else. So I, I think that there's a reality to this. The functional nature of websites tends to determine what they usually look like. So form follows function. Your site needs to look nice clean and elegant, but unique isn't totally necessary, I think. And again, part of that is just that, you know, after you meet all the requirements of it, really, they end up looking kind of mostly the same no matter what you're doing. Okay, so another myth is I need to rebuild my website to be mobile friendly. This is a myth perpetuated by web designers, which are kind of sort of my people. But uh, the idea is that everybody's on a mobile device. And if you want the hordes and hordes of people using the Internet for mobile devices to find you or care about you, you need to have a mobile-friendly website. There are a few different ways to do this. In the early days of mobile web, you needed to build a second complete website, and it had a little script in it. And so if somebody hits your website, the script would activate, and it would say, hey, what kind of a browser is this person using? If it's mobile, take them to my mobile site. If it's not, take them to my regular one. Right. So it, it sounds really good that the problem with those early sites was it's, it's a pain in the butt to update two websites when you can only do one. So the more recent trend has been mobile-friendly websites – where the website resizes and rescales itself. A good example of that is, oh, I would say, I would say there are probably a variety of websites you've seen where you go there and the menu bar changes if you're on like your iPhone or your Android device, right? So instead of having a full menu with buttons, all of a sudden you have like a drop down, you know, and it only has one or two things. So. That is, uh, that is that, as they say. Let me come back to some more of these, but let's take, really quick, a commercial break. Is coaching right for you? And how can I guarantee it will work for me? Chances are you're asking yourself those questions right now. I'll answer those critical questions for you in just a moment. But first, let's be honest about something you may have always suspected. You've probably always known that the nation's top 1% of realtors, you know, those millionaire agents you see on TV, they possess a secret knowledge that the other 99% of agents do not have. Where did they learn what they know? And more importantly, how did they learn how to put this closely guarded information into money-making action? It's simple. They have a coach. Not just any coach. The nation's mega millions, top 1% of the realtors know that in order to maintain their almost unfair advantage, that they must have their own personal coach, a proven, market-tested coach who has truly walked in their shoes, a coach who has worked with many of the nation's leading agents. At this point, you're probably ready to maybe try coaching. However, you don't want to be unfairly locked into a long-term ball and chain that coaching contracts can give you. It just makes sense that you should be able to try it before you buy it. Even more importantly, you want to have a coach who is the best of the best, not someone who is simply assigned to you or, even worse, has never sold real estate. Can you imagine? If this is you, I have something for you right now that is exactly what you have been looking for. For the next 48 hours, Tim and Julie Harris Real Estate Coaching is offering you a free coaching call. This is a real coaching call with a real Tim and Julie Harris coach. Now, while you are thinking about it, why don't you visit us online at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to get started. Once again, that is free 
coachingcallsforagents.com. Now, let's be clear. This exclusive coaching opportunity is only available for the first 50 realtors who are stone-cold serious about their real estate business and know that in order to succeed at the highest level, they must hire a coach. So don't wait any longer. Take action now and visit us again at freecoachingcallsforagents.com to schedule your free coaching call. Again, that's freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Thanks so much. See you all soon. And welcome back. I'm Tim Ventura filling in for Tim and Julie Harris. We're talking about tech and it's Casual Friday on Real Estate Coaching Radio. Yes, freecoachingcalls.com, and I am on the roster hiding at the very bottom of the page there, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. And this is a live show, so call in at 347-857-1195 or write me questions at realestatecoachingradio.com. Okay, so getting back to tech, we were talking about mobile-friendly websites. Again, once upon a time, and I'm talking about four or five years ago, you wanted to have two websites that you had to both, both uh, update and maintain separately. And that changed. Now they're using uh, big websites that resize, and they use scripting to change the menus around. And so you have one-size-fits-all websites where it looks pretty no matter what you have. Now, web designers will push you to get one of these because, well, quite frankly, they like money and they need the work. So you're probably going to get solicitations, get a mobile website because of this, that, and the other thing. But one of the things that we forget is mobile devices were designed to begin with for regular websites. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, simply put, when the iPhone came out, there were no mobile sites, right? They, they had, actually they had something called wireless markup protocol, I think, that WAP back then. But in terms of most websites, there was nothing. So they designed them to work with regular websites. That was one of the reasons that we got the iPhone with the Android device, so we could surf the web, not just mobile stuff. So making your website mobile-friendly is a plus, but... I, I would not look at that as something that's completely required. Uh, again, your website itself should be nice, clean, and elegant, and it should have good contact info, and it should try to answer those five Ws. Now, there's one other thing that your website needs in addition to answering those questions. Call to actions. Uh, your website needs to give visitors a clear, specific action to take when they arrive. That, that's what a call to action is. If you get that ghost town feeling, you have lots of people showing up, you have people flowing through, maybe they're reading stuff, but none of them stick, you're not converting them into leads, that's why. It's the call to action. You hit the website and there needs to be something. Now, what, what would that something be? Well, it could be in the old days it was a phone number. That was the call to action. Call us now. Here's our number. 800 number, local number, whatever it is, and it was obvious. Want to learn more? Call us here. Or want to learn more? Here is a button to email us. Back in the day, people would put their email address on the website, although now contact forms have replaced that because of automated spiders that will pick up your email address from the website and send you spam. So it's probably a button, could be an 800 number, contact form, something along those lines, and it needs to be obvious. Now, one of the challenges is because your website fulfills different functions, that call to action may not meet everyone's needs. And, and you know, it can, be, it can be tempting to do kind of a generic call to action also, right? So uh, you could get away with that. You could have, okay, want more information? Click this button and then maybe we follow up with you based on that. Uh, there are some advantages and disadvantages. People who are looking for something specific, like maybe they find a listing that's there from your IDS feed and they want more info on it. Well, they may feel a little bit left out because it's just a generic request. Maybe they don't want to go through that and have to re-explain what they're after. But the advantage to something like that is it will pick up just about everybody, right? Another way to do that is to have multiple calls to action, 
which you can do. You just have to make sure they don't interfere with each other. And one way to do that, for instance, is having a inquire about this listing button next to each of your listings from your IDX feed and then having a good contact form on site with a, a button maybe on the main page that leads right to it. So that, that call to action, and there are lots of examples of these if you Google it to learn more, call to actions are incredibly important. That is, it's like the transmission in your car. You've got all that power coming out of the engine, but to convert that into motion, you need a transmission. Same thing with the web. You've got those visitors coming in, but to convert those to sales, to convert those to leads, you need a call to action. Okay, so let's go on down here. I need a Facebook like button on my website to build popularity. Um, you know, putting this on your website can't hurt. Really can't. I mean, everybody's got one. Uh, I've put one on pretty much every site I've built since around, I don't know, 2008, I think. That was when Facebook really started to take off. It was big before then. But, you know, every site since 2008 had to have a like button. Um, you know, and you could do a Twitter button while you're at it. Uh, I mean, a LinkedIn button as well. They, they've got multiple ones. It's not just Facebook. But Facebook is the big one. But there's no clear indicator that it helps either. Uh, believe it or not, the search engine doesn't really care, not that I'm aware of, doesn't care if you have a Facebook like button. It doesn't really help you in the search engine rankings. Um, Facebook is not spidered. It, it's not ranked by Google in the same way. They use a lot of nofollow links. They had a big go around with Google years ago about this. So if you have you know, 10 gazillion likes on your Facebook company page or your Facebook person page, Google has claimed that they're not counting those. So it's not like you know, it's it's not like that like button follows you back through and helps your website. Uh, then there might be a little bit there, but um, but at the same time, yeah, I guess it's good practice to put one on. Doesn't hurt, you know. Uh, I'm not sure if it helps much either. It's the only challenge. So let me see. This is a uh, let, let's go on next down to SEO, search engine optimization. Now this. This could be a separate show, and this is something you're probably not interested in. So I'm just going to touch on it briefly. I've been told that if I spend money on search engine optimization, my website can be on page one of Google search results. That's patently not true. Uh, it's not true in a couple different ways. Number one, I, I have a good friend, Dave Brown, who is one of the top search engine consultants in the world, and he said if a search engine person, search engine optimization person, if they ever tell you they can guarantee anything, they're lying because none of them have access to the Google algorithms that actually do those calculations. They can they can try. They can promise you that they will do their best, but but they can never guarantee you a ranking search engine. So that's number one. But then number two is Zillow, Trulia, and Realtor.com completely own the key search terms that people actually use to look for homes. So this, this goes back to another aspect of it. I'll just, again, I'll, I'll try and keep this rather brief. But when you come up in Google, your ranking depends on the search term. If you want to come up number one for real estate, there's no way, right? I mean, Realtor Dirk will probably come up number one for real estate or CNN real estate. I, I don't know offhand which one it is. So your local website is going to come up so far down on the listings, it, it might be on page 500 or something. But that that's not a problem because you don't want everybody who's looking up real estate anyways. What you want are people that you can convert into leads and ultimately into sales, so what you want are people who are looking up, like in my case, let's say homes in Seattle, Washington. Homes in Seattle would probably do it. Homes in Seattle, Washington, because I like to put the state in when I do a search for something like that. That is a, a completely valid search term. Homes, in my, homes for sale in my city, that would be another variation on it. Homes in Los Angeles, that's another one if you live in L.A. So... Those are the terms that you really want to go for. Buy a house, you're looking up homes for sale in my city or homes in my city. Um, unfortunately, Zillow, Trulia, and Realtor.com own these search terms. Okay, that, and, and that's, that's just a reality, and I'll, I'll probably get more into that in a minute. 
But um, so you're not going to get those either. You'll come up way below those. And problem is, if you're not in the first five results or so, odds are you're not going to get a lot of clicks anyways, right? Now, if that seems unfair, it probably is. So let, let's go down next to uh, let's go down next to the Zillow search box because this answers the question: How did Zillow and Trulia? How did they get so big? How did they get so amazingly popular that they could come up for homes in Los Angeles or homes for sale in any city in the United States? Is it because they're able to effectively do keywords better than anyone else? No, it has nothing to do with that. The way that they did it was Zillow search boxes. Truly did this too. People put those on their website. In fact, some agents think that they still should. And same thing with a Trulia box. Any of those widgets, right, the mortgage calculator, the, you know, the property price calculator, they all have a little link in the bottom, and it takes you back to Zillow or Trulia. And when you put those on your website, it sends a signal to Google that you think Zillow or Trulia is an authority on real estate. Now, when it's just you who does it, hey, no big deal, right? The problem is when a few thousand agents have those boxes on their website, what it does is it makes Zillow and Trulia bigger than any of those agents could be on their own, which I think is kind of interesting because all of a sudden you've got a national website with really no local authority that is showing up not only in a national sense, but they're also showing up for all of these local search terms. And that, that to me, that seems kind of unfair. Okay. So to answer this next question of should I put a Zillow search box on my website, the question is what value it provides to you. Um, I'd like to say no, but if you really have a need to have one, sure, go for it. Uh, there are so many of them out there, it really doesn't matter. Just so you know, though, Zillow and a few other companies did get reprimanded officially by Google a while back for this behavior. Google looked at this and said, hey, this is an attempt to artificially manipulate our search engine results. And they slapped them on the wrist. But as I understand things, that didn't change the behavior. Okay, so to answer this question, right, we're stuck. Zillow, Trulia, and Realtor.com, mostly Zillow and Trulia, they own they own the national search terms. They own the local search terms. We're stuck in Google. How do we, how do we deal with this? How do, we, how do we approach this? As it turns out, our next question answers it. I have been told that I need to register my website with Google Places for Business. Let me amend that. Some people also say Bing Places for Business. And if I understand correctly, Yahoo does or at least did have one of those as well. The answer to that is yes, yes, and absolutely heck yes. These are local search results and do not include Zillow, Trulia, or Realtor.com. So let me restate that. Google, Bing, and possibly Yahoo Places for Business, but definitely Google Places for Business, does not include Zillow, Trulia, or Realtor.com. Now, you've seen these a million times and you haven't even realized it. What these are is if you go to Google Places for Business and you have a Gmail account, right? That means you have a Google ID, so you get your Google ID set up. You can register your business. Your business might already be in there. They, they pick up business from all over the place. What you do is you register, you put in your phone, hours of business, website. They'll have you kind of pick your industry, right? Like, you know, real estate agency, uh, stuff like that. You put this in there, hit submit. And it, it takes a week or so for this thing to start showing up. But anytime somebody searches for, again, we're going back to homes for sale in my city or homes in my city, anytime somebody does a search for that term, it will bring up a map with a bunch of pins. Below the pins are names of the organizations. And if you mouse over the pin, if you put your mouse over the pin, it will pop up some information in a little window, right? This is completely separate from Google search listings. These are just local businesses. Typically, because of the areas that are being served and the way they do things, th this is designed for you. They put this together just for you because you are an independent local business person. The question would be, well, how does it know where that comes up? Well, you put in the areas that you service. 
uh, you know, there's a couple different ways to do that. I think Google does it by city name or area name. Um, you might also do it by zip code. But basically, you put in the areas that you service, and there's an advantage and disadvantage. The more areas you put in that you service, kind of the more spread out it is, right? You may not come up as well. If you only service a small area, then you'll come up better for that, but not at all for the others. So what you want to do is realistically figure, how far do I want to drive to, uh, to do you know, sales and listings, right? What is my area? You put that in, and when people are looking for homes in that area, it will bring you up. You will get traffic from that. Uh, another one like that, it's not local search, is Yelp, obviously, and we can probably cover that in another one. So Google Places for Business. Okay. Um, finding balance in the material on your website. This is kind of a footnote. Um, I've seen a recent trend towards search engine style websites for a lot of agents. Uh, interestingly, a few of these have been higher end agents. Actually, one of them was a uh, kind of a Hollywood elite style agent. I went to their website to look uh, something completely unrelated up, and instead of finding any information about them, I found an enormous box with a beautiful photo, and it was search for homes here, and then it started to show their listings underneath that, right? And I couldn't find anything about the agent. I had to dig. So I dug through the website for two or three minutes. I was able to find the About Us page and the Contact Us page. And those were also beautiful. They looked great, but they were hidden. And that is bad. You want to have balance in your agent website. Um, now, now here's, here's why. Zillow and Trulia are real estate search engine websites. If you do the same thing with yours... Then, then what is the point of people going to yours? You, you want to have some personality in it, right? You, you want to showcase people, you know, you want to showcase for people who you are, what you're about, why you're the best person for it. Uh, you don't want to lose that personal information that makes you and your company unique. You're not a search engine. You are a specialist, right? And there's a big difference there. Now, for a lot of people, like people who are new to an area and don't know what to do, search engine might be the best way to go. They go to Zillow. Hey, maybe they're you know they they're moving to a new town. They have no idea who or what is in the area. They, they go there and they can find their uh, find their stuff that way. Okay, that makes sense. But for the rest of us, you know, and I think this is probably the majority of us who. Maybe we maybe we're uh, upsizing our house or downsizing our house. We're staying in a similar geographic area. We we know and trust agents. We have people that we know, and your website brings out that 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 trust, right? And that gives you something that no Zillow or Trulia could ever have, and that that is a unique personal relationship. Okay, so. Since I'm off on a tangent, let me voice kind of my complaint about Zillow and Trulia. When my ex-wife, my now ex-wife and I, bought our first home in 2000, we started out with a Google search for homes in Seattle, Washington. This probably sounds familiar. That's the exact term that we used. Then we narrowed it down to neighborhoods, and we searched again. Now, back in 2000, when you searched like this, you'd find sites like Keller Williams, Coldwell Banker, Windermere, John L. Scott, and a few others. These were the, the ones that came up back then. At the time, I remember John L. Scott kept coming up for everything. I don't know why. In fact, I thought they were enormous. Maybe they, maybe they were you know, back then. But um, Coldwell Banker, I guess, is the big one now. But John L. Scott in our area was the one that came up. And they'd have all the local listings for that company. Yeah, just like an agent site, right? You go to their site, you search the area, and so we did. We went from, you know, John L. Scott to Windermere to KW to, you know, Coldwell Banker, and we would find houses that we liked in each one, and then we'd use the contact forms next to each listing to reach out directly to them. And so that meant talking to a few different agents. Well, that was that was back then. Nowadays, when you do a search for homes in Seattle, Washington, you're coming back with Zillow, Truly, and Realtor.com. And these are national organizations that direct you back to local results that used to be provided by the listing companies themselves. Now, does this seem fair? Well, it would be fair if it was free, but it's not. It's not free to you. In other words, your website and your organization's website has been completely displaced 
by middlemen that resell your leads to the highest bidder. They've spent millions on web design to do it, and they've tried to convince you in the process that they're an essential part of the business, but they're not. If Zillow and Trulia disappeared tomorrow, the average agent would do better online, not worse. And that's because they wouldn't be paying for leads. They'd be getting the leads free, just like they used to. When I went to uh, John L. Scott and I clicked on the homes that I wanted to uh, purchase, it just went to those agents, right? They didn't have to pay for them. Those were their listings. Not now. If you go through Zulia, or Zillow or Trulia, or Zulia, yeah, that works, um, there's, there's a payment wall in between you and that lead. And like I mentioned earlier, when my ex-wife and I were looking for homes, we inquired about many of them online. We were new to the area. We didn't really know what we wanted. We wanted to learn more about them. Yeah, we did, I don't know, 10 or 15 leads. Well, we didn't buy 10 or 15 houses. So that means at the very least, right, our, our lead value was devalued. I mean, 15 times devalued. Okay, so the spin-off effect of this is that your website has lost its relevance for home search. I'm jumping around a little bit, but we're going back to your website. It's worth having an IDX feed on your site, and it's worth having your listings on your site for direct referral visitors who come there because they know and trust you. But these days, people searching for homes are more likely going to Zillow and Trulia than they are you know, looking up homes in Seattle, Washington in the old days. So if you're out there building websites, thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm going to have the greatest website ever. I'm going to have an IDX feed with tons of listings. It will be beautiful, and I built it, and now they will come. Unfortunately, you are probably mistaken. People will be going to Zillow and Trulia because they come up number one in Google. If you are lucky, you will get people who see your business listing in Google Places and click through to that. But what they're probably going to want to see is company information and personal information as well as listings. It's not just a listing market on your website. Okay. So the caveat to this, again, very important, Google and Bing, places for business. Uh, Google and Bing recognize the problem with this. This is national brands eating up local search results. This isn't something that only happens in real estate. You know, this, this is something that's happened in a few different industries. And that's ultimately why Google and Bing Places for Business were created. You would go and look up something local, and you'd get some enormous national brand that had nothing to do with your local area. Well, so they created these local channels so that people could get local results so that, that they could buy and sell in their community, which is, you know, something the Internet should facilitate. And through, through Google Places, Bing Places, now it does. By the way, again, I put this in there, part of my complaint here is if, if Zillow and Trulia had arrived at the beginning of the Internet and created the big initial portals for online real estate, you know, so, so let me restate that. If they'd, if they'd gotten there at the beginning and created these channels, I'd probably be in favor of them, to be honest. I mean... It's the same thing with Google, right? Somebody had to come along and create Google. Before Google, you had Yahoo, AltaVista, all the other search engines. The Internet was about creating these big portals at the beginning. But for Zillow and Trulia to arrive 20 years into the Internet with online property search already established by every real estate company in the country and then to basically muscle their way into the market by reselling access to your properties – that's a very different story. What they've essentially done is add needless markup to real estate that isn't required, and it comes out of your commission check. To me, that seems very unfair. Even worse, by trying to commoditize real estate search, what they've also done is attempt to replace a personal, relationship-based exchange of information with the thin facade of that which has led to a drop in lead quality, and it's been highly disruptive to the industry. Should you have to pay a tax for every person you speak with about a property? That is being, that's, that's what is being put into place here. It is a tax on your ability to generate leads. It's a tax that goes to Zillow. And what do they do for that? What value are they providing? That's the question. That's the big question. 
Okay, so anyhow, going back to websites, like I said before, let's talk about call to actions. A clear, specific call to action is required. That is that is an essential part of your website. Uh, a button that leads to a contact form, a phone number they can call, or both options. You should look at the website you have right now and take a look at those call to actions. If you make a few simple changes to your existing website, you may be surprised at how much more of the folks who do visit end up contacting you. Your call to action needs to be simple, as few steps as possible. Again, I'm reading from notes that I wrote, and what occurred to me while I was writing this is somebody told me a while back that the definition of a straight line is the shortest distance between two points. So your call to action is a straight line. It's the shortest distance between the visitor arriving on your website and them contacting you. So the simplest solution there is a contact form with their name, email, and phone number as the fields, and a questions or message box. Every step you add beyond this will reduce the number of inquiries you get. Now, th this is one of those web design things. I don't want to get to it into it, you know, too much detail here. But the, the bottom line is when you're designing a website, you're creating a channel. And every step that you add creates kind of a barrier to entry, right? And so if you have two pages before they can get to it, then you've reduced by some percentage the number of people who have filled it out. This is the reason that Amazon was able to patent their one-click process a few years ago. Same thing. By reducing their step to their, quote-unquote, patented one-click one process, then all of a sudden they're able to, to you know, increase the percentage of people who will complete that process. Um, if you're working with a junior or inexpensive web designer, you need to reinforce to them how important the call to action is. And you need to make sure that they make it obvious. A lot of these folks are techies. A lot of them don't have a ton of marketing experience. And things that look right to tech folks don't always look right to business people. So as a business person, you need to be looking at the website saying, okay, maybe it looks beautiful, maybe functionally it does everything that we need, but from a business standpoint, is this going to move people from being visitors to being contacts, right? And, and then, of course, how do we want them to contact us? If you're a listing agent, uh, you may want an IDX feed that displays your listings on your website. That's pretty standard. Uh, these days, probably every agent has one. If you don't, there are tons and tons of really great IDX companies out there. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to recommend any offhand, but last time I looked, what I found was the price used to be fairly expensive. The price dropped. It, it dropped a while back, you know, a few years ago. So if this is something you don't have on your website, you should definitely get one. And I, I would imagine that probably the vast majority of people in the audience already have one. Each listing should hopefully have a call to action with it, like a contact us button next to the listing. Um, you know, and that way, if people are interested in the listing, they can contact you about that specific one. Uh, in general terms, if you have a contact form, you'll want to have some text below the form near the submit button that indicates how fast you'll respond back. Within four hours, same business day, ASAP, you're also going to want to have a notice telling people that you won't sell their email address and that you respect their privacy. Both of these things give people uh, some positive reassurance to complete filling out that form. Okay, so, so let, me, uh, let me touch on this. This is kind of the last big bullet point here. But um, response time matters. Tim and Julie have talked about this many times. If you respond back within the first 60 seconds, uh, your your percentage, I, I'm not sure what it is offhand, but it's something like twice as great chance that you know, you'll end up getting the business. Being prompt when you respond back matters. But if you're not able to be super prompt, you should at least give them some expectation, right? Again, four hours, same business day, as soon as possible. In real estate, hey, if you can do 60-minute turnaround – yeah, maybe that works. You're a mobile person, right? If you can do 60-second turnaround, that would be amazing. But it matters, and letting them know matters. The other thing is 
I think it it really helps to put in those reassurances that you're not going to sell their their info, that you're going to respect their privacy. You know, that way somebody might pause and say, "Wait a minute, where's my email going? You know, is, is this going to end up in some spam list?" And that at least gives them some reassurance that that's something that you value. You value their privacy. You value that confidential relationship, just like any other business professional does. Okay, so anyhow, those are my points, and let's go through some takeaways. The big takeaway is that Google Search, your best tool for online traffic, is now completely owned by Zillow, Trulia, and Realtor.com. So if you're building a website expecting traffic from the search engines, it's going to be a long, lonely wait. And again, as I've said, it's really not fair. Fortunately, local search gives you a way around Zillow and Trulia by letting you appear as a local business in search results in both Bing and Google. Again, Google places for business and Bing places for business, and they're both free. Okay. As for your website, the kind of standard listings and biographical contact info websites that most agents have and have had for quite a while seem to work pretty well. Don't try and create something too unique because it might lose your audience. But you also want to have something that's a little bit unique because you don't want it to disappear into the crowd. That's, it's kind of a tricky tightrope there. Just kind of take both of those into account. Form follows function. And your website, your website has several functions that it performs for various types of visitors. Make sure that your website has strong, clear call to actions. This is especially true for anything that a cold prospect might see. What do you want them to do? Make it clear. Do not assume that they'll know what to do simply because you know what you want them to do. Okay, and then make sure that your website illustrates your knowledge, expertise, and helps facilitate that relationship that you either have or you're building with them. If it looks like you're just pushing a generic knockoff of Zillow, then people will just visit Zillow instead. What makes your site unique is you. So make sure that you're presented well on it. Okay, so that's it for this segment. Again, I'm Tim Ventura. I've been filling in for Tim and Julie Harris. And if you want to schedule a free coaching call, I am on the roster hiding at the very bottom of the page at freecoachingcallsforagents.com. I'm going to wrap things up today. It's been wonderful talking with you on another casual Friday on Real Estate Coaching Radio. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.